Welcome to Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. Hosted by Irving Risch. Thoughts on the Roman Epistle, Chapters 1 to 8. By James Boyd. Romans Chapter 1. It is important to see that the great object of the Gospel is that God might be known in the hearts of men, and that men might live before Him in the divine nature. Indeed, this was His eternal thought. For from before the foundation of the world His purpose was to have us, holy and without blame before Him in love. No doubt it was for the joy and delight of his own heart. For if his purpose was formed before the world was, it is clear it must have originated with himself, and if it originated with himself it must have been for his own pleasure. I might say for the need of his own heart, for no need existed anywhere else. I do not mean need in the sense of want causing unhappiness, but in the sense of a desire to create intelligent beings, and bring them into the blessedness, as far as the creature could be brought. In which he dwelt himself, the blessedness of eternal love. The way which he has taken to bring all this about, allowing the misshapen footprint of his foe to mar his perfect handiwork, and rebellion against his authority to stalk naked through the earth. While his patience and long-suffering have come to light, we may contemplate with adoring hearts, now that we see the end he has in view, conscious that that end will be attained, for the might is his. And the victory is sure, his dealings with man, with whom apparently he plays a losing game, may furnish the antagonistic and infidel mind of man with data for reasoning, and for judging his creator. But the faithful heart follows the divine pathway through the world in the spirit of worship, knowing that it leads to glory everlasting. This epistle unfolds to us the word of righteousness, that is to say, the righteous foundation upon which the soul is set in relationship with God. It prepares one to enter into the word of divine counsel which is unfolded in the epistle to the Ephesians. It is not the preaching of the gospel to the world, but the teaching of it to saints. We get it preached in the Acts of the Apostles. But when men are converted, they need what we have in this epistle, that they may be well established in the knowledge of God. Where the knowledge of God is feeble in the soul, the truth relating to divine counsel is usually rejected. The reason of this is, that there must always be reluctance to allow God to have everything in his own hand unless he can be absolutely trusted. If men could only flatter themselves that even a little has been given them to do, and that they have done that little, they then persuade themselves that they have in some measure earned the blessing, and that it is given to them by way of reward, but when God is really known in his righteousness, power and love, and when it is known that that righteousness, power and love have been put forth on our behalf, and that God has been for us in spite of the fact that we have been ungodly sinners, we are willing to allow him to have his way altogether, and we are ready to hear him tell us of his eternal counsel. The question of responsibility must first be settled, and our hearts set at rest as regards every question that could be raised before we are free to think of any interest but our own. A remedy for our ruin is about all we are free to think about until this is settled, but when our consciences have been purged by the blood of Jesus, and our affections won by the love declared in that blood, we are more free to listen to the unfolding of the mystery of the will of God. Of necessity there must be growth in the divine nature, for we all begin our new history with God as babes in Christ, and to enter upon the vast field of divine counsel we must be men. That is to say, of full growth. The knowledge of God, so far as it was necessary for the glory of God and for the perfect happiness of the creature in the relationship in which he stood in innocence, Adam possessed. And I do not doubt that he loved God in the measure in which he knew him, and rejoiced in his goodness with which his cup was filled. I cannot doubt that every unfallen intelligent being loves God, and my reason for believing so is because the nature of God is love, and therefore I should judge that he must be loved to be delighted in. And the being in whom he delights must love him if he takes delight in him.
but as soon as man fell from the place in which God had set him, he came under the judgment of death, and a new feeling entered into his heart, hitherto unknown to him, a feeling of terror. This new affection drove out every bit of love there was in his heart to God. He became alienated from God on the spot, and dreaded having to do with him. From that moment he was dead in his sins. His one desire was to get as far away from God as ever he could. The dread breach had occurred, he had broken with God, and as far as he was concerned he had parted company with him forever. It never entered into his mind whether there was any possibility of having the breach healed, he expected nothing but condemnation from the hand of God. And when he heard his voice in the garden it woke up all the terror that had taken possession of his soul. He feels he is exposed to the judgment that his sin merited, and the only light in which he views his creator is as the executioner of that judgment. Naked and trembling behind the trees of the garden he cherishes the hope that his maker will pass by without seeing him. Alone with the companion of his woes in the vast and unknown creation, how gladly would he have continued forever his rebellion and estrangement from the living God. Let the universe contain whatever it might were it full of unknown horrors, the poor terror-stricken, sinful, devil-deceived creature was now willing to grapple with everything he might meet. If only he might not have to do with God. Like a giant oak struck by the thunder flash, with the ivy still clinging to the lifeless trunk, he stands before his creator along with his frail associate in sin, morally blasted, gnarled, leafless, and with it. And laying the blame of his ruin upon the one whom be ought to have guarded and protected, and upon God for giving her to him deceived by the devil, dominated by sin, under the judgment of death. His love to God and his affection for his wife turned to gall in his trembling soul, he has no thought of anything but a means of minimizing his guilt. And to him it is of no importance who is condemned, if he escapes. Such is the creature away from God. And, indeed, how could it be otherwise? Away from God the creature knows no better than to fulfill every fleshly desire, live to the gratification of his own depraved appetite, hate, persecute and murder everyone who opposes him. And throw the whole blame of his degradation upon the God who made him. The first thing we get in scripture after the creation of man is his fall, and the next his attempt to throw a veil over his deplorable circumstances, and the next the investigation of his offense by his creator. And the announcement of the penalty incurred by each of the guilty parties, on account of the part played by each in the evil done. And lastly the manifestation of his grace and mercy on behalf of the two victims of satanic malice and subtlety, in clothing their nakedness with coats of skins. This action of grace on the part of God went, I have no doubt, to their hearts, so that they carried with them throughout their wanderings a sense of his goodness in their souls. But this was not natural to them, but was begotten in them by the little ray of light that found its way into their hearts from this intervention of God on their behalf. What had become natural to them was just that which has been, and is today, natural to all their descendants, distrust and dread of God, and unmixed enmity against him, and everything that is his upon earth. This was not all demonstrated in a moment, or in one man. It took four thousand years to bring it all to light. It pleased God to bring it to light, that we might learn it, and know that in the flesh good does not dwell, and that the carnal mind is enmity against God, and full of rebellion against his authority. The world before the flood earned for itself the title of the world of the ungodly, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 5, and a flood of water brought that to an end. God had no place among men who were animated only by lust and violence. But he has no more place in the world after the flood than he had in that which preceded it. It seems to be the world after the flood that is taken up from verse 19 of this first chapter. We see from this chap. 119-319, that God never left himself without a witness, and that that witness was invariably disregarded. It does not appear that in the antediluvian world men worshipped idols. This seems to have been a post-diluvian invention. 
the descendants of Noah possessed the knowledge of the true God. They had the traditions that were handed down through a long line of long-lived men. They could not have been ignorant of the fall of man, of God's intolerance of sin, of his judgment of the wicked, and of his favor and mercy to the righteous. For all these things had come before them in very manifest and striking ways. Added to this there was the testimony of creation, and this the apostle takes up here, and leaves those who are without the law or the gospel excuses. Creation witnesses to the power and divinity of God. It is the work of the Son. It has been often remarked that when creation is attributed to any single person of the Trinity, that person is in every instance the Son. Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 10, and, by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth. Visible and invisible, Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. I suppose this is the reason why the Son is designated, the Word. The word is that by which God makes himself manifest, it is the means by which he gives expression to his mind and will. Creation brought to light his power and divinity, and this was the work of the Son, who is not only God but the Word of God. We read in the beginning of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The heavens and the earth, as I have been saying brought to light his power and divinity, but this was not all that could be brought to light, there was still his nature to be made known. But the ray of light that men possessed was very quickly given up. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge, he was not the kind of being that their hearts desired, they would have preferred a God with passions like their own. They had known the true God, but they glorified him not as God neither were thankful. It is a great favor bestowed upon the creature, to be given a little light as to the blessed God. It is that which lifts man above the level of the beast. And how thankful the creature should be for that light. Where the light is appreciated thanks will be given to God for it, and where no thanks is rendered to him it is a sure sign that the light is despised, and will soon be given up. Neither were thankful, what a dreadful condition of mind and heart. But it only shows that from the beginning man desired not the knowledge of God. The language of the heart of man from the moment that sin entered the world has been, depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways, Job chapter 21 verse 14. We get in this first chapter of Romans the downgrade of the sons of Noah. The cause of the departure is given, pride and lust. They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. The tradition of their fathers, though the family that God had so mercifully and miraculously preserved through the flood, still lived in their midst, was too antiquated for these wise men, and the testimony of the heavens was absolutely rejected. Their wisdom was their folly. And what lay deep down at the foundation of all their departure was the fact that they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Professing themselves to be wise they became fools. In their madness they drew the curtain of willful unbelief across the window of their hearts, and shut out the light of creation. There was now nothing to hinder their mad career toward the sink of corruption. Enticed by the devil, and deceived by the pride of their own hearts, they ran down the slippery steep of unbridled lust into the quagmire of bestial pollution, and wallowed wantonly in the slime of their horrible degradation. In few words their swift provoking descent is sketched by the pen of the Spirit of God. It is the course of man without divine support roaming in the midnight of his willful ignorance, the sport of the devil, and the willing slave of his own corrupt fallen nature. Without divine support man comes out according to what he is in his own depraved heart, and who could sound that bottomless abyss of evil but the omniscient God. And if men dishonor God they cannot rightly complain if he withdraws his support, and leaves them to dishonor themselves.
Men think that they are very well able to take care of themselves, and that they can do without God, but man left to himself becomes a prey to the powers of darkness and a slave to his degraded passion. And the hell that he thus creates within his own breast makes him the most miserable being in the universe. No intelligent creature is self-supporting. God is indispensable to the happiness of every creature set in relationship with himself, and all who are maintained in their primitive condition are maintained by the power of God, and even unbelieving sinners. If in contact with the light of God in his redeemed people, are greatly influenced for good, and escape many of the grosser evils to which those less favored are exposed. How blessed it is to be brought into his marvelous light. Well may our hearts rise up continually in praise and thanksgiving to the God of all grace and love for the heavenly light with which he has gladdened our vision.